You are listening to the Hope Church Weekly Message Podcast. Hope Church is located in Cleveland, Texas and meets on Sundays. Pastor Todd and the preaching team desire for this message to bring life in a dark world. For more information about Hope Church, visit HopeChurchCleveland.com. Man, I tell you what, that's tough to follow. Going after the, you know... Because I, I said, oh, y'all going to take up the whole service, right? They're like, no, you still got to preach. I'm like, what? They ain't going to want to hear me after that. So, so what we decided to do was to end the Ripe series right on today. So you get punched right in the gut right after you just sat there and go, oh, how cute they are. Then I come up behind you and go, right in the gut. So it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be a good day. So today... We, we are in the throes of the holiday season. And if you, if you listen, listen to the news, the economy is good. Now, economists would say they're projecting that the spending there in the Christmas season will be up 4% from last year. Anybody want to take a wild stab at how much is projected to be spent on Christmas presents this year alone? Somebody want to guess? It, it, I'll, I'll let you know it is in the billions, but how many billion? Way higher than that. Higher than that. $730 billion will be spent this year alone. That's per the National Retail Federation, if you want to Google it. $730 billion. Now you want to guess, because <laughs> I'm a good preacher, you want to guess, you want to guess how much was given, will be, is projected to be given to churches and nonprofits all year, all year, not just Christmas season, all year. So 730 billion is spent on Christmas presents, 50 billion is given to nonprofits all year, all year long. So not just the Christmas season, all year long. And so we are a consumer driven society now we we're america we're built on capitalism but one of the byproducts of consumerism is we struggle with self-control the new iphone comes out and we're sitting there in our television at our at our seat going oh, i don't know do I, I i bet i gotta sell a kidney to get that but i'll do it right because we gotta have it right or that new purse comes out that we want so much. We got to have it. Or for me, I see a new pair of shoes and I'm like, yeah, baby, right? We all have those things that we spend our money on. Some of you guys, you're like, what's 15 guns? What's 15 guns? I mean, you know, the end of the world could happen. I could 15, you never know. And they may outlaw ammo. So, I, you know, I got to go buy some more ammo, right? It's on sale, so we must buy it. Okay, let me let, me let y'all in a little secret. Sometimes they put things on sale just so you'll buy them because they're actually on sale. They're like, no, say it ain't so, pastor. Say it ain't so. So today we wrap up our ripe series on self-control. Uh, and I think this is a fitting time of year to talk about self-control. So if you've got your Bible, grab it. Turn to Proverbs 25. We'll start in verse 28 today. Um, if you want to follow along in the Black Bible, it's page 513. Let me read you the definition of study of self-control. 
Self-control is the discipline of mastering one's own desires, emotions, and passions. It requires depending on God to overcome temptation and remain spiritually strong and pure. It is strongly related to faithfulness to one's marriage vows. Now you can see throughout the Bible that self-control is very quickly tied to the marriage vows, but, but I think we can also see that it also is controlling one desires, emotions, and passions. Do we have trouble controlling our desires, emotions, and passions during the Christmas season? Right. As soon as Friday happens, somebody got their butt kicked in Walmart, right? Over a toaster. Okay? Or a crock pot. Or an air fryer, I think, is the new thing this year. Or a smart TV. Get off my smart TV! <laughs> Merry Christmas! Right? And that's how we are today. But let's take a little look at what the Bible says about self-control. And this just struck me this week when I, when I read it. Proverbs 25, starting in 28, it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. One more time. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, let me, let me clear this up real quick, okay? I, I know we have Democrats and Republicans in this room. Please don't take this verse and put it on there. Say, Sri Trump should build his wall. No, don't. I will slap you through Facebook, okay? <laughs> this, I'm just, I'm just letting them know, right, Teresa? I, I gotta tell them up front. This is talking about you. It's not talking about a city. It's talking about you. It's saying if we have self-control, if we cannot control ourselves, we are like a city left without defenses. Guys, how many of you would want to go to sleep at night with your front door unlocked? Now, I live, I live in a fairly safe neighborhood. Some of you don't. Uh, we find from time to time that we'll accidentally leave a door open. But I don't consciously go to bed at night and leave my front door open. Why? Because it is a protection. Now, that's not to say that someone can't kick in my front door, right? But that gives me a little bit of notice. If somebody's kicking in the front door, then I have time to reach to the side of my bed, grab my home defense system, put the ammunition in it because I got little kids, and walk to the front door and just go, shh, shh, Merry Christmas, right? But we lock the door because we need defense. So why is it that we don't put up defenses in our lives? Because the Bible is telling us if we will not have self-control, if we will not have self-control, then we are leaving ourselves vulnerable to the defenses of the outside world. So I read an article today, and I wanted, or this week, and I wanted to, to read this quote to you because I couldn't put it better myself. It says, God is a God of self-control. And if His image and magnify his gospel work when we pursue exercising this aspect of godliness... So what we're saying is, is that we are magnifying, we are preaching the gospel when we exercise self-control in what we do. And so if you want to be counted as a follower of Christ, and there's a reason that this one's last. 
There's a reason that God puts this one last, probably because it's the one that we have the most trouble with. If we want to be counted as a follower of Christ, someone that follows Christ is what? Is self-controlled. So my argument today for all of us, I'm going to give us five ways to walk in self-control. I'm going to say there's some aspect in your life that you need some self-control in. Okay, there can be some good addictions. Like, Teresa loves buying Bibles. Now, that's not a bad addiction, okay? But you can spend so much on Bibles that you don't have any money left, right? We, we joke, we're like, I'll, I'll, I'll run across the Bible and I'll send it to Teresa and be like, hey, there's another Bible for you. She goes, don't tempt me, right? <laughs> but self-control, self-control, even if it's a good addiction. Now, I'm not trying to... to put Teresa on blast or anything. I'm just giving her a hard time. But we can, we can do good things and still not have self-control. So I'm going to argue today that we all struggle with a little bit of self-control in our life, if we're really honest. So I'm going to give you five ways to walk in self-control. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor, you don't usually preach five points. And I'll respond to you, well, the kids program didn't take as long as worship usually did. So I have more time. So you need five points, Okay. I'm just kidding. It'll be fine. Number five, or number one, keep your mind on God's word. The number one way to walk in self-control is to keep your mind on God's word. Romans 12, two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? Because many people always tell me, a lot of people's excuses for bad behavior is, well, so-and-so's doing it, right? Anybody have kids in here? Right? Okay. You go and ask, I go and ask my kids, why are we doing this? Like, my older kids often blame the younger kids. I'm like, why do we have a marker and we're marking on a table? Well... Isaiah was doing it. Well, he's two and you're five. Okay? You know better. He doesn't. So you. But I think oftentimes we do it in our life. We, we see that the world is spending money on this. Or that so-and-so got this. Or so-and-so. Well, so-and-so got the iPhone 11. Pastor Mo came in with her iPhone 11 going, hey, hey, hey. The iPhone 11. I don't have the iPhone 11. I got to get the iPhone 11 because I can't let Pastor Mo beat me. Right? right? I mean, I mean, she, but we justify bad behavior because everybody else is doing it. But what does the Bible says? It says, do not conform, but what? Be transformed. You're not called to be like everybody else. You're called to be better. We're not called to lead the way in buying Christmas presents. We're called to lead the way showing people what this season is about. Now, my mom pulled me aside last week and she said, stop telling them why you hate Christmas so much. <laughs> so let me tell you why I hate Christmas and then we'll just leave it here and move on, okay? <laughs> the reason I hate Christmas is because we get so busy trying to impress people that we don't like that we forget to worship the king that made this season possible. 
put that on Facebook, okay? We get so caught up in the hustle and bustle trying to impress people that we don't like, going to parties to impress and get gifts for people that we don't like. We can't stand. But we forget that Jesus came to this earth and made a sacrifice for us. Guys, every church knows that during the Christmas season, we're going to have a dip in attendance. Why? Because you're too busy to make the main thing the main thing. But what does the Bible say? Do not conform, but what? Be transformed. You're called to be different. You're called to be better. People are sitting here going, I just came for the Christmas program. What? What's going on? <gasps> so if you want your life to be transformed, you have to transform your habits. If you want your lives to be transformed, you have to transform your habits. And one of the best habits that you can have is spending time in God's word. Because God's word is what's going to transform you. It reminds you that, hey, listen, I know you think you've got it all figured out, but you really don't. The Bible tells us what? To take up our cross daily. Why? Because the Bible knows that every morning when you get out of bed, you stump your toe on the way into the bathroom and you, you already messed up your day. That you need God every day. I love that hymn. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour. I need thee. For me, it's every second. I need thee. Right? For the writer, he was a good Christian. He could do every hour. I need every second. And that's what God's word does. It aligns our heart and keeps us focused on the right thing. So number two. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So we've all seen those, y'all have all seen the Looney Tunes, right? Any, any Looney Tunes? Raise your hand if you haven't seen Looney Tunes. That's it. Okay. Go home and Google Looney Tunes. All right. It's great. Because they, the, they have the little devil on your shoulder and the little angel on your shoulder. Okay. The angel on your shoulder is the Holy Spirit. I believe at the time of giving your heart over to Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. We, some people call it a conscience. Our world calls it a conscience. But the Bible calls it the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that when you walk into a situation and you walk in it and you feel like, mm, this ain't right, that's the Holy Spirit going, listen to me, right? And if you're, if you're super spiritual, you go, I just have a check in my spirit, right? Right? Anybody ever say that? I just have a check in my spirit about this, right? <laughs> Cracks me up when people say that, which, I mean, it's good to have a check in your spirit, <laughs> what I'm getting at, Steve, we, we, we have these, we have our old language. Like, what does check in my spirit mean? It's like, if you said that to somebody else in the church, you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> or, or like, or like, I'm echoing that prayer, brother. What, what, what are you talking about? But I make the joke about checking, checking the spirit for this reason. We know what's right from wrong. But yet... We ignore the Holy Spirit that God gave us and do what we want to do anyway. 
Following God is never easy. Following what God has called you to do is never easy. In fact, he, he likens following him to dying on the cross. And so if we think that Jesus went to the cross to die for us and he's saying life with me is going to be a whole lot like that, why do we expect everything to be easy? Because it's not going to be. It's going to be hard. And so I'm saying to you, if you're comfortable, then you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to push you into things that you don't want to do. Because if it were up to me, I wouldn't be doing this. But the Holy Spirit had other plans. And so this Christmas season, when the Holy Spirit says, hey, you know what? Maybe you've bought enough Christmas presents. Listen to him. Or maybe he's telling you, you know, maybe that thing you're doing when nobody else is around, maybe that's not the best thing for you. Or maybe, maybe God's calling you to do something that you've been making excuses for. We like to argue with the Holy Spirit. We like to sit there and go, God, God will tell us, you're called to do this. And you're like, well, listen, I'm not good enough. Okay, let's, let's, let's unpack that just a hair. The God, the maker of the universe, the one that created every cell being in your body, tells you to do something, and you're sitting there explaining to him that you are not good enough. If I was God, I'd just sit there and go, <laughs> that's like when our kids tell us, you need to go clean up your room. I'm not going to clean your room. I'm just like, <laughs> you like to die, don't you? Right? Right? I think sometimes God's the same way. When we tell him, I'm not good enough, God. He's just like, I'll get you eventually. And so we have to listen to that Holy Spirit because it is our guide. So point number three, get people to hold you accountable. Get people to hold you accountable. First John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus is his son cleanses us from all of our sins. Guys, that is why church, that's why I preach to you so much about church because church is accountability. Us walking into this place helps us keep each other accountable because I find time and time and time again, as people slack in coming into this place, usually their life is falling apart. And then they'll message me like, pastor, pastor. I hadn't seen him in three months. My life's just falling apart. And I have to hold back the urge of going, well, you hadn't been church in three, me three months. Guys, this is a place that we hold each other accountable. We are called to walk in the light as we are in the light. The problem with America is we don't like accountability. We want you to tell us how special we are and how pretty we look. And we don't want it difficult. I saw a quote on Facebook this week. I couldn't figure out who did it, but it's not me. It's somebody on Facebook. Accountability feels like an attack when you're not ready to acknowledge how your behavior harms others. Accountability feels like an attack when you're not ready to face that your behavior is not good. And guys, that's, that's the magic of church. We can come into this place and push each other to be better. 
I want you all to be better than what you have ever thought that you could ever do. Why? That's what we're called to do. We're called to be in this place, to push each other harder, to push each other forward. But we have to show up. If we don't show up, then we're not going to see progress. In the same way, you'll see in church just like you'll see in any other gym. Our attendance goes up in January. Why? Because everybody... I'm going to get my life back on God, right? I'm going to get back on track. But I don't want to dog church people because you should come to church in January. So we'll dog on the gym. Those of you that work out at a gym regularly, you hate January. Why? Because you've got people in there that don't know what they're doing. And they're all over the place. And you're like, get out of my gym. But come February, they're all gone. Why? Because they quit the second week in January and you notice they weren't there February. Because in order to be successful in your health, in order to be successful in, in a physical thing such as going to the gym or a diet, you need what? Accountability. Every person will tell you whether you're talking about uh, physicality, you're talking about the gym, you're talking about a diet, you need accountability to succeed. So why do we think we don't need accountability spiritually? People tell me, well, pastor, you know, this is, this is my Christian walk. I mean, people shouldn't tell me what the Lord is telling me. I'm like, well, you know, God can speak to me just as clearly as he can speak to you. And maybe he's asking me to push you a little bit further in some places. But accountability is not a four-letter word. We should run to accountability because it makes you better. But what I want you guys to understand the people that hold you accountable, you need to get the people to hold you accountable that you want to be like them. Don't have the people holding you accountable that aren't like the people you want to be because sometimes they'll drag you down even further. That's why being in this place is so important. Because look around. We're not perfect people in here. But we're here doing our best, trying to do better. Number four identify and remove what causes you to stumble. Identify and remove what causes you to stumble. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do not be surprised when you fail if you put yourself back into your temptation. Do not be surprised when you fail if you put yourself right back into your temptation. Guys, something I've always struggled with my whole life is my weight. I've, I've always, if, if I just let myself go, I'll, I could easily weigh 300 pounds, but I'm 5'8", and if I weigh 300 pounds, that's not good for my build. I'll have a whole lot more problems, and I refuse to let the devil take me out of this world earlier than I need to because of my health. So one of the things that I ask my wife all the time to do 
or if we're at a party and, and you know, especially during this Christmas season, I hate when I get sweets because if I have sweets and they're in my house, they're calling to me from the other room like, Todd, don't you want to eat me? <laughs> I'm like, I just watched the Cowboys. Leave me alone. <laughs> but I'm so good, right? <laughs> or that pizza, that cold pizza in the fridge. Mm, don't you know you want some of this? No, I'm trying to lose weight. Leave me alone. Okay. And so this Christmas season, if you want to get your pastor something for Christmas, let it not be sweets. That'd be awesome. Um, cause, the, cause, cause seriously, the number one thing people do for pastors, they're like, pastor, we want you to be healthy and live long. Here's the cake, right? I'm like, sweet. How about some protein bars? Those are great. <laughs> but what if I had to do? In order to to be healthy and to move forward, I'd had to identify where my stumbling blocks and not go there. So if you're an alcoholic, you know where a a place you don't need to be is? A bar. Okay? If you're a drug addict, you know where a place you do not need to be? Hanging around people that are dope heads or at a dope house. You don't need to be there. If you struggle with spending too much money, you know where you not need to not be? A mall. <laughs> Get rid of your cell phone because it's very easy. eBay, yeah, eBay. Hey, let ye who's without the first sin cast the first stone, all right? But you have to put these parameters in, your pl- in place. Because Satan is not concerned with your self-control. He's concerned with your destruction. And he'll do exactly what tempts you. And I've seen it before. People tell me, oh, pastor, you know, I was an alcoholic, but I can have one drink. No, you can't. Because one turns into 15. Oh, pastor, I used to deal with pornography. But, you know, I can have unfettered internet access. No, you can't. You have to put the parameters in place to help your self-control. Otherwise, you will fail. Because we don't have that much self-control. A part of self-control is knowing what you are not good at and not tempting yourself to do those things. Number five. As I've punched you in the face the whole time, I did throw in, remember, there is grace when you fail. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One thing I've seen with people when they're trying to get back on track is when they stumble, they pile on themselves. Like, I I see it with people that are trying to get back and reading their Bible. They miss a day and they're like, ah, I'm such a terrible person. Just read your Bible today. So what? You forgot yesterday. Read both of it. Just double up and you're good. We pile on ourselves and Satan uses the guilt of the slip up instead of you being focused on the goal. So you ate a bonbon, okay? It's no big deal. Get back on the diet tomorrow. So you ate a whole large pizza by yourself, okay? Tomorrow's a new day. Eat broccoli instead of a whole pizza. It's gonna be okay. 
But hear me, grace, grace is not an excuse to not put correct measures in place. Don't allow grace, don't allow one mistake to pile on you so you cannot continue to push forward in your life. But don't allow grace to cause us to stumble more. What does Paul say? Don't don't stumble so that grace may abound. Don't sin just just because you know that the Lord has grace upon you. That's our world. We're like, God loves me. He'll forgive me. I mean, really? Really? We're so hardened that we're going to sin anyway just because God will forgive us. How hard is that? That we take for granted the grace that God has granted us. But I want you guys to know, self-control is hard. You're going to mess up. You're going to have slip-ups. Don't do them on purpose. But when it happens, know that God wants you to get right back on track. Next week, our series, Let It Go, starts. It's going to end the year. And I promise I won't sing the song. Um, I promise, okay? You, you'll sing the song? Okay. But what God is saying to you is, is when we mess up, when we get off the path, he says, let it go and move on. We're, we're our worst critics. So what does this mean for us? have a five-point sermon, but a three-question, what does this mean for us? Is your life under control? Is your life under control? Does the world dictate to you what you should be doing, or do you, does the Holy Spirit guide you? Because a marker of a Christ follower is being self-controlled. So is your life under control? I can't answer that for you. But if the answer to that question today is no, you have to begin to put those markers in your place. The number one place to start is getting in this word. And number two is accountability. Be it in this place, every time we got the doors open, and finding somebody in this place that you want to be like and say, hey, can I give you my cell phone number and you tell me that I need to be a better person? Can you check on me and say, hey, hey, did you go on those sites that you weren't supposed to be going on today? Hey, have you loved your wife today? Because those type of people will help us accomplish much. Number two, do you need to incorporate these steps? Guys, I'm telling you, if you will work to incorporate each one of these steps into your life, self-control will become easier. I'm not saying it's ever going to be easy. I said it's going to be easier. It's not easy. Self-control is daily going, you know what? I don't need the iPhone 11. Even though Pastor Mo is shoving it in my face, I don't need the iPhone 11. My iPhone X works just fine. My kids need to eat. Number three, as the worship team comes back, do you need God to transform you today? 
Do you need God to transform you today? Because the number one problem with self-control is you. Without you, self-control would be easy. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. So in just a minute, Pastor Mo is going to sing one more song. We're going to have our prayer team down here in the front and the back. We'd love to pray with you. Now we're not down here. I think sometimes we, we think that we can only come up and pray for things that we're preaching about today. No, we're, we're here to pray for you about whatever. So don't think people are judging you when you walk up here like, mm, so-and-so's got a shopping addiction. Spending too much on, they're part of that billion in Christmas, right? Right? This, this isn't the gossip hour, okay? This is a time that we can minister to you and pray with you because we are here. Apart with accountability comes the ability to lean on one another. And that's what this time is for. So I want you to take this time and I want you to talk to God. Say, God, where, where do I need to be more self-controlled? And two, if you have a need in your life and you just need someone to just pray with you, we have prayer peoples down here at the front, peoples, <laughs> people down here at the front, the back, we'd love to pray with you. But as our kids told us all so well, this season is not about the presence under the tree. But it's about Jesus that came to this earth and gave us his presence. You know, Mo posted something on Facebook yesterday and I, I love it. We're excited to get to heaven to ask Moses about parting the Red Sea. But Moses would want to know what was it like to have the Holy Spirit walking with you every day. That's what you have. So tap into that power source. Let's pray. Jesus, self-control. Especially when we're preaching about self-control during the Christmas season. Lord, I thank you for what a wonderful blessing our kids were to us today. It's so amazing to see our kids on fire to deliver such a potent message there in the scripture season. But Lord, I just pray today. I pray that you would give us the courage to be more self-controlled. Lord, I pray that you would just help us not to be fine with just being where we are, but help us to be transformed into something better. Lord, help us to put those steps in place so that we can walk in a better way with you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.